Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. Your word. I think we sang a little bit about that in one of the songs. Right, John? Word, right? His word. It's, it's living. Hey, guys, when we hear and declare God's word, it's 100% truth. Amen? So, Father, bless and anoint Todd as he gives us and declares the word of truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, since we're going to have uh, some people give some prophetic words um, after the service, um, I've set an alarm to make sure that we're done in time to give enough time for that. So, if the alarm goes off and I'm in the middle of the service, I'm going to end that point, go to the conclusion, wrap it up. Um, <clears throat> because uh, we want to give plenty of time for that. And just parents, as a reminder, like Geraldine and Elder have to be somewhere right after church. And so, we have to get the kids right at noon. So we have to be on top of that, um, myself included, because i got kids over there too, so it's... <clears throat> All right, so before we get started, um, a little thing about the prophetic uh, thing that we're doing, as we're rolling it out, uh, the Sunday morning uh, prophetic words that we're allocating time for, uh, that's, that's, it's an invite, so we're going to invite people to come up. Um, this is not an open mic where somebody gets a word spontaneously and comes up. This is intentional. We've invited people to be praying through the week to come up and give those words. And so that time is sanctified, if you will, allocated for that specific invite. Uh, just, just so you kind of know what the parameters are. And I was not invited for that. And uh, so I'm not going to give any words at the end. There's some conversation about uh, doing some prophetic ministry stuff. More of those details will come. On the way down, I was asking, Lord, is there anything that, that you would like to share with uh, the church? And so I got three things I'm going to share real briefly before we get into the actual message. First up is that the Lord wants to or will release words of healing and encouragement. So words of healing are going to go out. Words of encouragement are going to go out in the church and uh, particularly to the downcast. Uh, and so the Lord's got his eye on the downcast, and he wants to care for them. Uh, the second thing is that the Lord is going to initiate a move that will change how the church sees and understands the kingdom of heaven. I think, I mean, like this is a big word that's been thrown around for 20 years, a paradigm shift. That the way we understand the kingdom of heaven is going to change, uh, and we're going to see it in a different way. And then the final thing is, um, the face of the enemy has been revealed, and the ungodly and some believers have cowered in a spirit of fear. And they've adopted a bondage to that. But the enemy's power will be short-lived, and it will be seen to crumble openly and publicly. So that's what I got just on the drive down here. Um, if that applies to anybody, I mean, take it. I think Jerry's recording this. Um, 
so we can maybe come back to it at some point. But if the Lord's sharing something with you on that, uh, pray about that. So anyway, that's that. Now we're going to transition into Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, so we're continuing our series. And uh, I, I did some, I'm making Catherine do a little bit of extra work this week because I didn't do a PowerPoint. So all she's going to do is put the verses up, which means she has to like pull the verses up. She can't just go down, down, down. <laughs> so sorry, Catherine. Uh, little little, uh, little curveball on there. Challenge accepted, right? Challenge accepted. All right, so we're going to do Galatians 3. Um, and and uh, we've done 1 and 2, and we've got a couple more chapters to go. So as a reminder, Galatians is a unique letter in the New Testament because Paul is de- dealing with a significant spread of the doctrine of what they call the Judaizers who were adding obligations to the gospel. Paul comes in and preaches this, this gospel of freedom, this gospel of Jesus Christ, about how you can be free, you can be brought into the kingdom of heaven, and you don't even have to be Jewish to do it. And then this other group kind of like tries to creep in afterwards and start like adding, but then you got to do this, but then you got to do this, but then you got to do this, and adding on to it. Namely, that the, the, any Gentile believer has to be circumcised, and that they have to follow all the stipulations of the Torah. Um, now, Paul oversaw the founding of Galatians. Here's where my history interest comes in. He founded it at around A.D. 48, right? So the year 48, he, he, he kind of founds the church, Galatian church. He's writing this letter in A.D. 54. So within six years, this doctrine has already started creeping into the church. So this isn't a, a false doctrine that uh, it comes in through this slow, gradual dera- degrading of the true doctrines over a series of decades. Like this is less than 10 years, and all of a sudden, uh, like all, already this false doctrine is starting to permeate the church. I mean, like we've been doing TGP since 2008. I mean, like that would be like 2014, we're already adopting false doctrines. Um, and so Paul's dealing with this. And this is one like the original leadership at the birth of the church is most likely still in place. And some of that leadership has probably adopted the doctrines. So Paul's letter is to correct this errant trend away from the gospel. Before we get into the rest of chapter 3, we're going to look at a recap of chapters 1 and 2. Just really, really quick recap. Paul goes through and he recounts his own spiritual journey. That's how he found out he went to Arabia for three years before he even had a conversation with Peter. Like, he's like, he has this Damascus experience, and he's like, i got to straighten this out because this doesn't happen. Goes off into the wilderness for three years to hammer this out. Then he mentions, like in his own travels, that he's encountered these Judaizers. He's telling me, he's like, I know these people. I've encountered this doctrine. This is not new. You think it's new. You think it's, everyone wants this new and juicy doctrine that's really sensational and He's like, this is not new and juicy and sensational. It's heresy. I've been there. I've done that. You're not the first church I've seen this happen to. And then finally he asserts that the the Galatian believers are being led astray by this. He's like, you're being led astray. You're being deceived. And so he kind of builds that up in chapters 1 and 2. And then he kind of like hits this this culmination, if you will, of frustration with uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? 
before your very eyes, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Did you receive the power of the Holy Spirit by getting circumcised? Did you receive the power of the Holy Spirit by, pick your Old Testament law, right? Did you receive it, or did you receive it by believing the message that you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning, by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Are you trying to do this on your own now? Have you experienced so much in vain? Experienced healings, miracles, prophetic utterances. Name, name your whole gamut of everything that happens in the book of Acts. Have you experienced all that in vain? If it really was in vain. So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So this section, he's basically saying the Judaizers have come in and imposed these legalisms on the gospel which have never produced a spiritual power like you've experienced. And now you want to go and adopt this because some juicy speaker came into town with a charisma and an air of, hey, hey, and then all of a sudden you want to adopt their doctrines. Mm. So then he goes on. This is verse 6. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him his righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles through faith. God knew this plan from the beginning, and he even drops a hint with Abraham by saying, all nations will be blessed through you. Right? So God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So God, the gospel is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham about blessing all nations. 2,600 years ago, God calls Abraham out of Mesopotamia and puts him right in the middle of Canaan. It's about a journey from like Rhode Island to like Kansas. I mean, like if you're on foot, right? So he sends him over to Kansas. What's in Kansas, right? Can anything good come out of Kansas? Go over there. Get away from the civilization that you've known, the highest empires, the greatest kings, their, their, their architectural phenomenon, their, their agricultural. Get over to Kansas. Go to the wheat fields, right? Walk around there, and you'll never own anything. Just walk around there. And all the nations will be blessed through you. So he says, all the nations will be blessed. And he's like, Abraham, you're not going to understand this, but hint, hint, there's a gospel coming in 2,600 years that is going to come to fruition, and the whole world's going to be turned upside down by it. Okay, so Paul's like laying this out, right, to the Gentiles. He's like, he gave this promise to Abraham. It's happening. And you're experiencing the power because of it. And that leads us into our next set of uh, verses. Verse 10. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You walk 7.1 miles on the Sabbath, death. Stoned to death. 7.1 miles. Well, how many of us have traveled more than seven miles on a Sunday? We're going to be technical on a Saturday. And uh, why have not we been stoned? Because it's a little bit different in the New Covenant. I'm just going to say that there. But if you did, you're in violation of the whole law. You're a sinner. You've broken the covenant. You're done. I mean, that's, it was pretty strict back then. So Paul goes on. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Why? Because clearly nobody can perfectly fulfill everything in the Bible. In the Old Testament, what do you want to call it? In the Torah. Except Jesus. He's the only one. The only one that's ever done it. Abraham couldn't even do it. He didn't even have the law and he couldn't even do it. Moses couldn't even do it. Moses got barred from going into the Holy Land because he struck a rock with a stick. I've struck a rock with a stick before. I hope that doesn't bar me out ahead. I mean, like, really, I mean, like, think about it, right? Like, okay, we know there's, a, there's an anger issue, there's a temper issue, there's a, there's a selfish thing going on there. There's a lot of context for that. But still, you know, like when, when Finney gets mad, he hits the bed and he looks at me. <laughs> right? I'm not going to bar him from the blessings of being my son because he hits the bed. No. All right. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. But he goes on to explain. It's like, why? Because the righteous will live by faith. Now, I don't have this one up here, so don't worry about pulling it up, Catherine. It's okay. Curveball. Paul also wrote Romans. He also wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Mentions a similar thing in Romans. 14, 23. Anything that's not done by faith is what? Sin. You mean if I get up in the morning and I don't have faith to believe that God is guiding me to put on a particular pair of socks, then when I put my socks on, I'm sinning. Mm. That's, a, that's, a, that's a tough bar to, re, to reach up to. That, that You know, if, if my kids start eating their Cheerios before I have them bless it, they're sinning by eating? I mean, like, if we want to get down to the nitty-gritty, like, we can't fulfill the law. Just those two things right there barred us right out of the kingdom, if we did. So the righteous will live by faith. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. So in summary of that section, people living strictly by the law, which is impossible to fully fulfill, are cursed. Why? Because they're doing it less than with 100% compliance. 
And if you live by the law, you have it written out, you can get up and you can do your best and you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and still fail because you're not doing it by faith. You're looking at a piece of paper that says, do this, 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 and this, and you just go, do this, 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 and this. There's no faith there. You just do it, right? It's just, ah. Righteous people live by faith. And faith is what gets credited, la, 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 is righteousness. Faith gets credited as righteousness. So that leads us on into the next series of verses. This is 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is it? Because we, there's no way we can possibly fulfill all the law all the time. No matter what we do, we're going to be cursed. So what does Jesus come and do? He redeems us from that curse. By becoming the curse for us. He becomes the curse. Or the cursed, if you want to dice the words. Because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And that basically what the cross was, just a big pole with another cross pole and he was nailed to it. He's hung up on a pole. Everybody in Judaism at that time knew crucifixion was one, the most humiliating, painful way to die, and two, was a huge representation that you were cursed by God. And the Jews knew it, and the Romans knew it, and the Romans maximized that because they were experts in humiliation and torture of people that they subjected. There's a whole history to that. Verse 14. He, Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing that was given to Abraham, and this is what gets Paul in so much trouble everywhere he goes, might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Paul would not have gotten shipwrecked and beaten and whipped and been under the scourge had he just kept to the Jews with this message. that blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we, there might be like one or two Jewish people in here, right? We, most of us Gentiles, might receive the promise of the Spirit of God. The end result is that in Jesus, the Abrahamic blessing comes to the Gentiles. And that by faith, we receive the promise of the Spirit. This leads us into our next section. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant, right? You don't add to a contact, uh, uh, contract that's been duly established. So it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now, Paul brings up that word seed here in a minute. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but just says, and to your seed. Now most of us, even when you're reading just Hebrew, you would read that as a, as a collective singular, right? Like, the people of America, right? Like, that's a collective, like the fruit of the Spirit, right? There's like ten, five, ten, ten fruits or something like that. It's a, it's a collective whole, right? So there's many, many fruits that get lumped up into fruit of the Spirit. So that's how you would typically read this. It's the seed of Abraham, all of his descendants. But Paul capitalizes, no, we're going to change that and say it's a singular seed. Meaning one person. And that person is Christ. 
What I mean is this. The law, and he does his math here, introduced 430 years after Abraham, give or take a few decades, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So God gives a promise to Abraham. All the world is going to be blessed by you. 430 years later, you get the Sinaitic covenant with the, uh, with the allocation of the law to the Jews. That covenant, that law, does not overturn the previous promise. I got a whole chart about how the covenants kind of relate to each other. It's a whole other thing. This law that comes 430 years later does not do away with the promise to Abraham. Verse 18, For if the inheritance depends on the law, it no longer depends on the promise. Because if it depended on the law, then the promise was overturned. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now break it down in our common, common terms here. Basically the promise, God giving Abraham a promise, indicates that there's this relationship between Abraham and God. There's this relational interaction. Like they're in kind of a friendship, right? They're in, in this relationship where they talk to each other and God gives him a promise. When you look at a law, the law becomes an impersonal legal system. It still does a lot of good. It still reveals a lot about God's heart. I'm not doing away with it, right? A law is designed to kind of frame out a society kind of in an impersonal way. A promise is between two people. So regarding this covenant, God's promise to Abraham predates the law and is still in effect. So that promise is still kind of hanging out there. You know, 2,600 years later, Jesus comes along, that promise comes back to play. So the promise to Abe was received in faith. Right? Abraham received that. He, he, God said, go. Okay, I'll make you a, a, a blessing to many nations. Okay, you do it. I'll give you a son. Not likely, but okay. <laughs> Good luck on that one, God. You got the last laugh on that one. But the law lays the groundwork for the Gentiles. Well, sorry, the promise. My bad. The promise lays the groundwork for the Gentiles to become sons of Abraham and to receive the inheritance. This gets us into, I think, our last section here. Next to last. Verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgression. What is transgression? People not keeping the relational component with God. The people of God not keeping up that relationship, not keeping up that interaction, leads to transgression. Because now they're not acting in faith. They're not acting in this goodwill with God. You can even see that when he shows up at Sinai. They're like, no, 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 you don't come down here. We'll send Moses up. You'll, you'll kill us if you come down here. We don't, we don't want that relationship. We'll just send Moses up to be a mediator. So it's added because of translations, transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels. You can really unpack that if you want and have a heyday with it. And entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. The scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. 
The sin of being imperfect, right? The sin meaning selfishness. So the law, the scriptures, basically has locked everything up under the control of us not being able to live up to the law. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before coming to this faith, we were held in custody under the law. So the law kind of gave us some safe parameters so we didn't kill each other, kill ourselves in the process, right? Kind of gives us a guide of what's good, what's bad. But it's not powerful enough to save us. It can just keep us from a worse destruction, if you will, for a time. (laughs) We held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. The law is needed because we as a people could not maintain a relationship with God. We could not do it. We could not love God. And so he had to give us a law to set some sort of parameter. And so we lost this relational component with God. Actually, for us Gentiles, we never really had the relational component with God until Jesus came. So the law serves as this temporary guide until Jesus comes. The law was never intended to justify us and give us life. It's just to tell us how bad we are, for the most part. The law became a tutor until Jesus came. Now the law puts the groundwork for us to be justified by faith. Because basically, put out the law and you just say, Oh man, how many times have I failed that? So many times, right? Byron's told the story many times about how he's had a calendar and he'd mark every time he goofed up and when you look back at the calendar he had more markings on the squares than no markings and at some point he's like I just can't even do it you can't even do it there's no way to please God this way so finally our final verse is this faith has come we're no longer under a guardian so in Christ Jesus you're all children of God through faith so how do you become a children of God a child of God through faith in Jesus. Very simple. All of you, now he's talking to the Galatians, right? But it's to us. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we'll wrap up of that. Now that Jesus has come, we're not under the tutor anymore. I could feasibly drive 7.2 miles and not be stoned to death because Jesus has come. Now that doesn't give me a license to go out and break every law and do everything wicked because that's not the fruit of somebody who belongs to God. Everybody that's baptized in Jesus is clothed in Jesus, right? We're clothed in his righteousness. He's the one that lived the law perfectly. So when we get baptized, he's basically putting his righteousness right over us, like a nice, big, soft, plushy robe. Right? That feels good. (laughs) There you go, Wayne. Which means that when we're in Christ... All the major barriers break down. There's no social distinction in the kingdom of heaven. There's no racial distinction 
in the kingdom of heaven. There's no class distinction in the kingdom of heaven. All are in Christ. All are heirs of God's promise. So if you're in Christ, you're a descendant of Abraham, you're an heir of the promise, and all of the buzzwords and major movements today that's designed to cause people to hate and divide each other can clearly say, based on this, comes from an anti-Christ perspective. Right? Our focus is not to fuel that fire. Our focus is to preach Christ and Christ crucified. And anybody that comes into that, they're our brother and sister. Across the spectrum. Don't care what country you're from. Don't care what language you speak. Don't care what color your skin is. Don't care your ideology. It's Christ and Christ crucified. The ideology stuff, you know what? If you're really redeemed in Christ, and you're really into the scriptures, and you understand what Jesus says, your ideology will change to match the kingdom of heaven. Kind of like the word that I gave earlier, right? That the face of the enemy has been revealed. No, 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 not that one. God will initiate a move that will change how the Lord's church will understand and see the kingdom of heaven. I think God is in the process of bringing a new level of understanding for the ideology of the kingdom of heaven that we have probably not seen yet. And I think it's going to shake a lot of us. But it'll be good. So to wrap it up, quick wrap up. In conclusion, this is just the, the points Judaizers, no, la, 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 la. boy, getting tongue tied again. The Judaizers, Ju- <laughs> all right, we'll try this one more time. And it's fine, it's fine. The Judaizers, this, this is why. Listen to how many syllables are in these words. This is my fault. This is my fault. The Judaizers imbued the gospel with Jewish legalisms. Right? They came on the scene. Got that out, right? Maybe the rest will be like dominoes. The gospel is the fulfillment of God's promise to bless all nations. It's the gospel. You want to talk about what what is that blessing to Abraham? The gospel. Same thing. God just dropped a hint in a different way to Abraham that he didn't even know how that was going to look. Also, people that are living strictly by the law, which is impossible, are cursed because we can never be 100% compliant to it. Righteous people, rather, live by faith. That faith, I'll I'll clarify, that faith in Jesus, because you can't just have faith in whatever, faith in Jesus, very specific, gets credited as righteousness. In Jesus, the Abrahamic blessing has come to the Gentiles, By faith, we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in regarding the covenant with Abraham, God's promise to Abraham predates the law, and that promise is still in effect. It never got overturned. (laughs) The promise to Abraham was received in faith by Abraham, and that lays the groundwork for us Gentiles to become sons of Abraham and to receive the inheritance. I'm not saying anything here that's not written in this scripture, right? Like I just read it, and I'm just rephrasing what it said. This is scripture. 
The law was a temporary guide until the seed, namely Jesus, came to fulfill the promise. The law was never intended to justify and give life. It was just intended to guide us and keep us from some level of self-destruction until the promise could come. The law became a tutor and a guide till Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, we're not under the tutor anymore. We're under Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we don't strive to fulfill every stipulation in the Torah, that God writes the heart of the Torah onto our hearts and we live that in our new nature. That's what he's wanted all along. We're sons of God through faith. Everyone baptized in Jesus is clothed in Jesus and there's no social, racial, or class distinction in Christ. If you're in Christ, we're descendants of Abraham, we're heirs of the promise, and we are members of this kingdom of heaven that Jesus spoke so much about in the Gospels. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for helping me get through my words that I wrote and got tongue-tied on. <laughs> and thank you, Father, Lord, that you are alive and well. That anybody that calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Thank you. Thank you for that gospel. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel and that we do not have to complicate it with, with human works and with human efforts, that it's a gift freely given by you. So Lord, please mold us and change our hearts to understand your kingdom in a bigger, greater way and let us not be given over to a spirit of fear. Lord, but let us overcome it. What your scripture says, power, love, and a sound mind. So Holy Spirit, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, and we lift your name on high. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so, seven minutes to spare. So that gives our, our words people a, a couple of extra minutes to do their thing. So uh, I'll do this the way that, um, so it's Catherine and, and, uh, Catherine and Kara, right? Okay, so I'm going to do this the way I do with my kids getting out of the bath. I'm going to do any, mini, miny, mo. Alright, so you go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you were blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of the Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.